podcast of sermons by Pastor Charles St. Ange, LCMS missionary in Montreal, Quebec, and the Caribbean. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Over the last few weeks of this very unusual Advent, we've talked about how God coming down, not in wrath, but to save us, is the thing that we are looking for at Christmas. How God first came down to us in a child, and how we can point people to places where we find God at work. And today we have one more reminder in this four-week Advent season to not fall into the trap of boxing up God or pointing to him in places where he does not want to be found. God will be where he will be. And it's up to us to listen for where he says to go and find him. In our Old Testament lesson for this morning, we hear of the encounter between Nathan and the Lord and David. Now, of course, David is the big, famous king of Israel. Uh, A young shepherd boy who was called to take over from Saul, who was the the king that the people wanted to serve, because, of course, Saul was tall, He was good-looking, he was strong, he had military prowess, and he was a horrible king, mostly because he just did not get God. He did not get spirituality, and he was not faithful to the covenants. And so God chooses a man after his own heart, which does not mean that David was perfect. He was a sinner every bit as much as Saul was, but he was faithful, and he knew where to find a God of mercy, and that was in the tent of meeting, in the tabernacle. Now, David had made a promise to himself that someday the God of Israel would not be living in a tent like some camper out in the Quebec wilderness, but he would have, like David had, his own house. And so David takes upon himself the idea that I am going to build a temple to God. And that's the setup for our Old Testament reading, where Nathan tells David, this sounds great, let's build a temple for God, because after all, all of the other pagan gods have their own places where they can be found. Surely the Lord of Israel, who delivered us out of Egypt, who made all the great promises to Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and his family, surely he needs just as impressive a place to be. But then Nathan hears from the Lord this very, very different word. And so Nathan goes to David and says, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Basically, what the Lord is saying is, if I wanted a house, I'd build a house. If I wanted a house, I would have asked for one. The truth of the matter is, as the Lord goes on to explain to David, God is the one who builds a house for himself. It's precisely why he was in a tent. What do we know about tents? They can be taken down and set up at a moment's notice. They can move around. They can be in different places. And isn't this precisely what God says to Moses? 
when Moses asked God for his name. Tell the people, I am who I am. I will be who I will be, and who I will be is the God who is present amongst his people. I don't live in a house. I make my own house. And the house that I'm going to make is going to be your house, David. I'm going to take your line and make of it my dwelling. Which, of course, is the setup for our gospel reading from Luke, where finally, after 900 years, God makes for himself a house. Not a Mary Queen of the World Basilica, not a Notre Dame Cathedral, not any of these places, even beautiful Ascension Lutheran Church with its beautiful cross and crucifix and candles and trees, but he makes for himself a home in a young woman from Nazareth, a virgin of all people. And so the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. That beautiful temple in Jerusalem that had been built by Solomon, David's son, and then destroyed and then rebuilt after the exile and then modified greatly by Herod was not going to cut it as God's house. It's the best we could do, but God, of course, always does so much better. And the home he builds for himself is the womb of the Virgin Mary. And as that first opening hymn that we sang today says, that hymn that Martin Luther modified from an even more ancient hymn from the fourth century, in that womb was God's throne. For nine months, the God of the universe, the Son of God himself, ruled from the womb of the Virgin Mary. God's tent is literally with man, in a woman, inside her. That's what God does when he chooses to build a house for himself. Now, we have a very short epistle lesson. Spencer's probably been very happy that the epistle lessons for Advent have been very short. Um, they tend to be focused on the good news because Advent is a good news season. And so in this very last bit of Paul's letter to the church in Rome, Paul emphasizes the gospel. Now, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel, my good news, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, you might be asking yourself, the reading from the Old Testament, we get it. It's about the house. It's about the line of David, that God's house is not going to be of stone and of glass and of brick, but it's going to be actually humanity itself. And we get the reading from Luke, where the angel Gabriel comes and says, finally, to this young virgin from Nazareth, you are going to be the throne room of God. So what's the connection here? Well, the question is, where 
is God's house now? Where do we point people to go and see God? When we announce to people this mystery of the gospel, the revelation of the secret kept for long ages, and they say, tell us where we can find this Jesus, much like the wise men when they came to Jerusalem asking Herod, where do we find the king of the Jews? Where do we point? We point once more to the promises of God. We let God be where he will be. We let God tell us where to find him. Because you see, dear friends, every time we try and fix God in a certain place, or say that's where we find him based on our own reason and our own initiative, it always fails. It's never really the fullness of God. Well, when you find a group of Christians who are really nice to each other and, and they really get along and, and, they, and they love one another, as Jesus said to love one another, that's where God is. That's You go and find that church and, and you will be sure that you are in the presence of God. By the way, if you, you find me that church that's absolutely perfect, and everyone always loves one another all the time, like let me know because there will be a long list of pastors ready for that call. And then, of course, the minute they show up, it all goes away because the pastor just introduced sin back into the church. There is no church like this where the people are always perfect because we're sinners. That's what we confess at the beginning of every service. Or it's the building. When you find that most beautiful building with the best organ and the best hymns and the best music, that's where God certainly is going to be. Turns out that doesn't work out either. Ask the people at Hillsong in New York. Mm. Oh, we found this great church and the music is always uplifting and the pastor's always got a great sermon and everything is just lined up and we leave worship field so charged up and connected with God. Oh, by the way, our pastor has been having affairs with a whole bunch of other people. And one of our musicians turns out to be an atheist and it didn't really kind of work out. God is present in his word. Where the gospel of Jesus Christ, born in the manger, dead on the cross for our sins and raised from the grave is preached. Where the gifts of God, baptism into the name of Jesus the Lord's Supper to feed hungry souls, absolution from the pastor that we might know that truly God has forgiven our sins. Where these things are present, there is the house of God. As the executive director of our missions department, Dan McMiller always says to us, you can find God just as easily under a palm tree as you can in a beautiful cathedral, so long as the gospel is present and the gifts are being offered. That's where we find God and nowhere else. Sadly, that whole idea of where we find God in Christ through his word and his gifts, his sacraments, has been totally lost by our culture, even our Christian culture. Even people within the church no longer know these things. We have a cultural religion in English Canada, to a certain extent in Quebec, and then certainly in the United States. The sociologist Christian Smith gave a name to it. He called it moralistic therapeutic deism. That's what the average person, even the people sitting in our pews sometimes, 
has as their religion. So what is moralistic therapeutic deism? Well, I'm going to explain it, and you're probably going to recognize it, maybe within yourself. Moralistic in this sense, God wants you to be nice. You can all abide with that, right? God wants us to be nice to our neighbors. God wants us to be nice to other people. Therapeutic. God wants you to be happy. God wants you to live your best life now. God wants you to always have a smile on your face. God wouldn't let bad things happen to you. And deistic, because God only gets involved conveniently when you want him to, when there's a problem. That is what the average North American believes. God wants us to be nice. God wants us to be happy. And God leaves us alone unless we need him. Now, Here's the problem. What does being nice mean? What's the standard for niceness? Do you get to decide what being nice is? Or do I? The government? Society as a whole? Who makes the decisions? What if being nice means that you give me all your money? Who gets to have all the stuff? And what does it mean to be happy? What if I am happiest when everyone else around me is miserable? Who's to tell me that I'm wrong? Do I have an obligation to help others? What if that makes me unhappy to have to help other people and not myself? And while it might seem nice to be nice, and it might even make us happy, God is still at a distance, except when we need him. The problem with that is how can you be sure that he will be near when you do have a problem, if he's not near, when you don't. The problem with moralistic therapeutic deism is that it's all about me. God is a cosmic Santa Claus, and my neighbors don't really figure into this religion at all. So spirituality is nice for me, not so nice for everyone around me. And the worst thing about this, to get back to what we've been talking about this morning, the worst part of MTD this moralistic, therapeutic, deistic spirituality is there is no concept of home or house within it. And if this pandemic has taught us anything, it's that house and home matter a whole lot more than we thought they did. Being with other people, even for the most introverted among us, means more than we thought it did. And so this morning, the Lord calls on him, calls on us to let him do his own thing and to let him make a house. Because when God makes a house, it's not just for him. God makes a home for you and me. What if we were to let him make his own house, his own temple, a man born of Mary, born for us, a man dying on a cross for our sins, rising again so that he can go and get a home ready for you and me. What if we were to let that God define happiness and niceness and let him reveal the mystery kept secret, but now spoken openly to the whole world? After all, if we let the Lord build a house, will it not be a home indeed?
Christmas is one of those seasons where we think a lot about home. There was always something magical about home at Christmas time. When we lived out in the Maritimes, it meant getting in the car and driving for 20 hours, sometimes over two days, sometimes all in one go, to get to Sudbury, to 812 Afton Avenue. Passing through Montreal on the way, hello Montreal, and then we just keep going. And then you'd finally, one o'clock in the morning, maybe a little bit earlier if it took two days, get to Nana and Grandpa's. And Nana and Grandpa's was home. I knew the skidoos were out at the cottage waiting for us, the holes in the ice for ice fishing, all of Nana's cookies and squares and all desserts that you couldn't possibly eat all of over that Christmas break. The tree would all be set up and decorated. It was home. And when I got a little bit older and I moved down to Washington, D.C. to live in the excited states of America, as my good late friend, Pastor Dipple, used to call it, when Thanksgiving or Christmas would come around, I'd get up at five o'clock in the morning and I'd make the drive up to Ottawa, 12, 12 hours up I-81, pack up the car with as many frozen turkeys as I could buy because they were cheap in the U.S. That was my big contribution. And I'd cross the Poconos and the snow would start falling and I'd get to the border and see the maple leaf flag and I'd finally get out to Orleans to 318 River Ridge Crescent. And there'd be the tree set up, decorated, Turkey be in the oven, turnips, potatoes, stockings, and the rooms all prepared. It was home. The point I make of those memories, and I know that you all have your own, is that somebody else makes the home for us. Our best memories come from the fact that somebody else has prepared the place that we go to. And the mistake that we make over and over again is not letting God prepare the home. We try and get everything ready for him, just like David. I'll build your house of cedar. Instead of saying, no, I will make a house of you and I'll do it in my way because that's what's going to be best for you. When we try and make God a house, we fail miserably every time and it never works. The Lord makes his own house for us, a house of flesh and blood from the line of David, a throne in a young virgin's womb, a home of and for poor ornery people like you and like I. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? Where that good news is preached, where Jesus is preached, the Jesus who is conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary and born for us at Christmas, where his gifts are given, that is home. Amen. May the grace, mercy, and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who invites us to be home again this year with him. Guard and keep your minds in Christ Jesus unto everlasting life. Amen. If you'd like to learn more, visit intheway.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless your week.